Contrary to what is printed in your bulletin, this morning's passage will be from the Gospel of Luke, verses 33 through 50, if any of you would like to turn your Bibles to that passage. Speaking to a crowd, including a group of religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus said the following, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he is a demon. The Son of Man is coming eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing between, behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not anoint my, anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. spending a few uh, months looking at the questions that people asked Jesus. And he welcomed all of them. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, a lot of overlapping stories um, in them, and yet you see Jesus answer in such a variety of ways. Even in this short passage, he tells a story, but he also speaks quite directly, and he models the answer all at the same time in just a few verses. Sometimes Jesus still uh, performs miracles that are designed to help us understand his gospel message and to strengthen its power as we perceive it. And 
for the men and women watching too. Sometimes he answers questions real directly. Sometimes he's more indirect. Sometimes Jesus' language sounds harsh, and I'm going to explain why later. People come to him oftentimes, and they, they expect to see something amazing, and they do, and they'll respond, that was amazing, with no life change. The point I'm making is that as, as people approached him, as individuals approached him, or as he was sitting in someone's house, like in this case, or in other situations, questions are asked or implied, and he answers, always in a welcoming in a loving way. Sometimes that love is also harsh, but always welcoming. And he's so consistent with respect to love, and yet he's so unique in the way that he answers. Do you know how many times in the Gospels, if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a question was asked of Jesus? It's like 500. Now, some of those are, are repetitive. Matthew, Mark, and Luke cover a lot of the same material. And yet, I bring it up to you because it's amazing how consistent Jesus is in love, and how unique his answers are. He continues to recognize that men and women are different. They ask questions differently. They think about things differently. And so he tells stories, and he performs miracles, and he gives very straight answers, and he gives very indirect answers. He sometimes repeats himself, but usually with a tweak. In his, and, and the reason I point that out is, not only is it incredibly compelling to notice how he teaches and how he answers questions. It's also a glimpse of what you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are being drawn into. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are right this second being matured as a lover of God and of neighbor. And I don't know about your neighbors, but mine are all different. And loving them is different. One, one day I want them to take me at face value. The other day I want to say nothing and they know exactly how to love me. Is it just me? I'm the only one that's that capricious? Right, because we're different. And the neighbors we're in relationship with are different. And so in Jesus' incredibly consistent love, when people come to him with questions, his friends, women, his enemies, like in this case, Simon is not an aggressive enemy in the, in the spectrum of Jesus' enemies, but he's opposing him. Jesus is incredibly consistent in his love. And I want us to notice that and see that that's what he's growing us into, freeing us from our religiousness and our irreligiousness into a life of life. And Jesus doesn't condemn. I talked about this last week, and as I was listening to my sermon and thinking about it, I want to be clear, like, that doesn't mean there isn't condemnation. The fact that, the, that Jesus did not condemn doesn't mean there isn't condemnation. What happens with a human is they're condemned by their sins unless Jesus lovingly rescues them, unless the Holy Spirit pursues them and draws them to themselves. So there is condemnation, but not from the human face of Jesus, which is pursuing and loving towards us. And Jesus welcomed all 500 questions and he welcomed all people. As I've been going through this series, and I've, I've known for a couple of months that this Sunday we were going to talk about this question. Jesus, I had a hard time picking a text. Have you read the Gospels? Do you know how often Jesus was accused of this? A lot. I wanted to use Luke chapter 5, so I will for a landing point. I wanted to use Luke chapter 15 because it's one of my very favorite parts of Scripture. I wanted to use Luke chapter 18 because Jesus is a little more indirect, meaning gentle. I want to use Luke chapter 19. That's the story of Zacchaeus. 
In the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus is again accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, which is kind of like a double accusation. It's like, doesn't he know these people's story? But it happens a lot. And Jesus stays the same. He continues to lovingly interact with his religious opponents. He continues to lovingly sit with those that knew their sins were many. That's the thing I noticed about this text when I read it in our earlier service. Her sins were many. And he said that out loud. Jesus welcomed all questions and all people. And I'm amazed at that. And I've noticed, so I've been doing some form of ministry, volunteer or vocational, for 24 years. And I uh, started leading a small group of high school students in 1997. And I remember how they asked questions and how different their questions were. And I remember one of the times I was really proud of an answer. I'll share it with you. You can judge whether it was a good answer or not. The young man in my small group, and there's no way he listens to this podcast At least I don't think so. John, if you do, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And he loved the love of God. Loved the love of God. But he believed none of the commandments were relevant or applied. And as he would explain this to me over and over and over, I was like, John, that would be like if you walked your, 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 a father walks in and his child is in the bathroom floor sitting there and the child is two and there are razors everywhere and the father walks in and goes, I love you and then just leaves the room. That's what that's like, what you're implying about God. And I don't know how compelling of an answer it was. And it fascinated me then, and it continues to fascinate me, that you ask the questions differently than John. And you ask questions differently than the people at my old church. And you ask questions differently than the people that I interacted with two weeks ago about the very same texts. When I was in college, I didn't know that God was calling me into ministry. It seems so obvious now. I'm taking Greek, I'm taking Hebrew, like you all did also when you were getting your undergrad, (laughs) right? And I didn't know that I was being called into ministry. Anyway, I was at a uh, uh, college ministry event that I had no role in leading, and I'm sitting there listening to a talk, and in the middle of the talk, the guy asked me to define a Hebrew word. That was his question for me. He just assumed that I would know, and and of course I did. But... um, (laughs) But his questions shifted as he learned what I, and what I want to point out is the incredible diversity. What I have pointed out, I want to continue to point out, is the incredible diversity of people as they came to Jesus, even as their questions are similar, often involving tax collectors and sinners, they are unique. Simon was unique. The others that questioned Jesus were unique. And I want to point this out too. That small group that I mentioned that I led in the late 90s, when I was in college, I let those guys down. In 2001, I was supposed to go play pool with them. I don't like pool, but that's why I did not show up. And I let them down, and I remember hearing from them about that, that hurting them. Jesus never lets anyone down. Ever. He never doesn't show up. He always shows. He's always kind when people ask him questions. He always answers. Even when Pilate is asking him bad questions, Jesus waits to answer, and then he eventually answers. He's never silent. Though we feel that he's silent, especially in our suffering, he is never silent. He is always kind and patient and answers us. And throughout the Gospels, we have so many unique and loving answers from him. I look back at 
Luke chapter 5, one of the other times that he's accused of being a drunk and a glutton. This is when he's calling Matthew to himself. Matthew is also called Levi, and this is in chapter 5. And the Pharisees and their scribes, this is verse 30, grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I believe the reason this happened so many times throughout Jesus' ministry is, first of all, because historically it happened. The religious leaders did not understand repeatedly why he sat with and spoke with and taught and interacted with and probably had a really good time with tax collectors and sinners, which is why he was accused of being a drunk and a glutton. Also because we have something to learn about ourselves and our tendencies when it comes to putting our faith in Jesus. Jesus welcomed all questions and people, and it bothered some of the religious people of the day. I mean, have, are you clear on this yet? We're looking at Luke chapter 7, we look at Luke chapter 5, we could go to Luke chapter 15 or 18 or 19. 15 is really compelling because there are obviously both groups there, more than one of both groups. And Jesus tells story after story about the Father's pursuing love for everybody. But I need to point out our religious tendencies. I think that's why this story is repeated so much, not only because it happened, but because we have these same tendencies and they distract us from receiving the love of the Father. Do you know about the religious spirit within you? I was at dinner last night and I was arguing with my wife about her love language. I won the argument. And it felt as great as it ever does to win an argument. What is, what was going on in me? And it wasn't contentious, but we were discussing it, and I, there's some sense. Do you know the sense? There's some sense. Here's what it sounds like oftentimes in our hearts and minds. I would never do that. Do you know that sense in your, in your being? That's the religious spirit. And the religious spirit has the strongest ability to block us from receiving the love of God the Father because it convinces us that we don't need the work of Christ. We need the knowledge. We need good works. And that's probably enough to reconcile us with God. And I think the religious spirit in you intermixes with other things and blocks your sense of the comfort and assurance of love of the Holy Spirit. As I have said repeatedly in the last couple of months, I think the fears you have in the world are honest. You came by them honestly. But your fear, intermixed with the religious spirit, can become a stronghold. You know what I'm talking about? Someone hurt you. And you're afraid of being hurt again, which is a legitimate fear. So you make an agreement. I will not trust a person like that again. And it starts to wreak havoc in your life. And I'm not talking about wisdom and boundaries. I'm talking about agreement in your soul that involves never trusting again. And again, your fear is legitimate. It's honest. 
but when it intermixes with the religious spirit, it blocks us from receiving the love of God the Father. I think your anger is legit. I think it can be harmful when it mixes with entitlement and a secret agreement, right? You're angry because someone hurt you. So the next time someone hurts you, you're going to say the thing back, even though for most of us it takes us like two days to know exactly what we should have said in those situations. But what happens is our anger at injustice, either towards us or globally, intermixes with the religious spirit, and we begin to believe that what we need is knowledge and good behavior, and that saves us. And over and over and over, Jesus says, all are in full need of his work to save them. Not only did he not come to call the righteous, there is none righteous, so say the Psalms in the book of Romans. And I think in addition to our fear and our anger, there's our shame, and our shame is real. Oftentimes for things we didn't even have agency in. That's how complexly broken humans are. We feel shame over things we didn't even do. What happens is the shame intermixes with the religious spirit and we get more and more and more protective in relationship. And we can't hear the loved ones in our life. We can't answer with any kind of softness because we're defensive. We've missed neighbor love because of things that happened to us that are real wounds, but intermixed with the religious spirit, they harm us. I don't know what particular subject you can't talk about, and I don't, I'm not worried about you talking about it in the next week, but I am worried about you seeing the religious spirit that needs the information and needs to win and needs to understand fully and can't be wrong and can't be soft and can't listen. I think that's what's going on here is Jesus so lovingly, so repetitively pursues these religious leaders to help them see that there are two ways to run from God. I know I talk about this parable a lot. It's because it's such a compelling parable. One way to run from God is to act out and to feel different through substance or life choices or whatever. Another way to run from God is to not make any mistakes, have all the information, consistently judge other people and think, I would never do that, and feel a little bit of satisfaction, because maybe you wouldn't. And that's a dangerous spiritual place. Not that you wouldn't do the action, but that you believe in your heart that that is, merits you anything before the Father. You see how destructive the religious spirit is? I love what Jesus says to this woman in Luke chapter 7. Not only because of how gracious it is towards her, but because it's a gracious invitation to Simon the Pharisee and to his Pharisee buddies. I assume there were some other ones in the room. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Because she hadn't sinned against him. So what's he doing forgiving her? This is him saying to them indirectly that he is God and therefore is the one with the power to forgive sins. So they say, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. 
Jesus welcomes all these questions and people. He very much bothers the religious leaders of the day. And it tells us about his character. Ever patient, ever kind. Are you familiar with Matthew chapter 23? It's when Jesus calls the Pharisees a bunch of names. And you're like, how is that loving? Because spiritually speaking, the religious leaders, especially at this point in Jesus' ministry, because they fought with him and fought with him and fought with him, and most of them, not all, but most, haven't listened to him. And so when he calls them whitewashed tombs, that's like a parent talking to a two-year-old about traffic. You are about to run into traffic. You are running from the love of God by believing you can get it all right, have all the information, do all the right things, practice all the right religious things, and you are ignoring the party that the Father has thrown for the younger one whose sins were many, but who received the embrace of the Father. So when Jesus speaks harshly, I think that's like a parent to a young child that's putting themselves in danger. The religious spirit will harm you and it will harm your neighbors. This is why I think this matters. When we realize this, when we receive the embrace of the Father, when we give up, ow, when we give up our efforts to know everything, to be able to fix everything, and to do all the right religious practices, and to win, when we receive the embrace, our hearts are freed to love God and to love neighbor, freed from our defensiveness and disproportionate anger and pride, into generosity, forgiveness, neighbor love. To the tax collectors and sinners, he says, your sins are forgiven if you trust in me. Your faith has saved you. And to the one that said, I would never be a tax collector or a sinner, he is saying, your need is just as great, if not greater, to lay those things down, the religious spirit, the pride, the knowledge, which we utilize out of fear and anger that are legitimate. But the gospel of Jesus calls us away from those into the embrace of the Father, where we trust him fully with our heart and with our decisions. Jesus is patient and pursuing. For those of you that have trusted him with your heart, know that he has never been impatient with you. He is always pursuing you into greater and greater maturity and love. And those of you that are intrigued by the gospel that you need, that acknowledgement has probably already saved you. You are probably already drawn to the Father. And now when you acquiesce and trust the gospel, you're freed into a life of life where you can go in peace as he directs this woman. Jesus was accused of being a drunk and not a prophet and a glutton because he welcomed everyone, all of their stories, all of their questions, all of their religiousness and their irreligiousness. And he said, lay it down. 
and receive new life. Become your full self in Christ. Receive that peace and joy. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask that we all, myself certainly included, would believe and believe more deeply that you love us right now and that you like us, that you are fond of us and that we would trust and believe deeply that this is because of the work of Christ, 100% his, 0% ours. Holy Spirit, give us hearts and minds to receive that love. Amen.